So today we're starting a two-week sermon series on Philemon. Uh, the, the, the church pew box, it's, it's one page of the Bible. So when I say, turn to Philemon 1, that is verse 1, not chapter 1, okay? So, and I call this two-part series, Crossing the Great Divide, Philemon's message of reconciliation. You see, I think there's a problem with the word slavery, Enslave in this in 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 this society because we look at it from a, a Western nineteenth-century uh, viewpoint. I'm not saying slavery was ever good, by the way, but slavery was different in Paul's day. When we look at, at slavery in Paul's day, it was different. You see, America which was a, a shameful uh, page and we're still battling it today because of everything that has been done uh, because of race. That, we, that, that was a shameful part of American history. But in Paul's day, it wasn't a racial issue. Slaves consisted of all races. A person could become a slave in biblical times by being so poor that they sold themselves into slavery to have a better life. Or they were born into slavery. Or children that were abandoned were taken into slavery. Or even, this is sad, sold into slavery by parents. Or when a conquering country would take over another country, they would take their people as part and parcel and they would become slaves. And like I said, I'm not trying to justify it. I'm just saying it was different than it was in the 19th century. How many people have heard of Alexander the Great? Do you know who his slave was? Aristotle. You've heard of Aristotle, haven't you? Yes. So, I want to ask you this question. If you've heard of Alexander the Great and Aristotle is his slave, do you know what his job was as his slave? It was to teach Alexander the Greek culture and the Greek language. And because of that, because he was taught the Greek language and the Greek culture, he wanted to spread it around the world. So he did. Okay? And then, so the whole world spoke one common language. Common Greek at the time. And then the Bible, the New Testament, was written in that language. All because a slave taught Alexander the Great about the Greek culture and the Greek language. And furthermore, the scriptures say that all humanity, by the way, that includes every single person in this room, is enslaved. Every one of us. 
We're slaves. Just, just so you know, we're going to get off on the right foot here. We're all slaves. We're either slaves to sin, Satan and fleshly desires, or we're enslaved to the one true God and King, Lord Jesus. Because that's what it means when you say, He's my Lord and Savior, not just Savior. He's in control. And this is the only captivity that you'll find that will bring you the greatest joy that can be found. You see, our master, if you follow Christ, is full of kindness and compassion. See, Philemon is a letter that Paul wrote to a wealthy slave owner named Philemon. Philemon is not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible, by the way. You can't find his name anywhere. But there are three things I want you to know about this letter before we dive in. And that is, I personally love this letter. Because it shows a side of Paul that we rarely get to see. If you've read this letter this week, you will know that this is not how Paul writes normally. See, that... You see, Paul can be... He's characterized, isn't he, as a sharp man, a difficult man, a hard man, a stern man, as a man who knows how to speak the truth, but more often than not, he doesn't speak the truth in love. He just tells you how it is. He gets right down to the point. He points out the sin and he just blasts you with it and says you need a change. See, that's the caricature that we get when we think of Paul. If you read all of his other letters, that's what it sounds like. That he's like points right to digs in, right to the sin, tells you what you're doing wrong, tells you to knock it off. But this letter is personal. Paul wrote this. He shows that he's practicing what he wrote in in. In his other texts. See, I don't want you to see Paul as the guy who just beats up people all the time. You know, because that's what he does. He beats you up. If you read, that's how I get condemned most of the time, is read Paul's literature and you're like, oh man, Paul, please stop. You knock that off because I struggle with that. But Paul says, don't do it. So this letter really shows the love Paul had for the church and his brothers and sisters in Christ. The second thing I want you to know is to see is how Paul sees his circumstances. And all the circumstances of everyone in this letter as being governed and managed by a loving and caring Heavenly Father. See, I want you to see that Paul doesn't see life through horizontal lenses. You see, 
Sin and circumstances in our lives have a way of skillfully causing us to take the grand narrative of God, reconciling us to him through the power of Jesus and turning the story of our lives into his story of grace and salvation. But sin has a way of consuming us. And we don't see what's going on in the world around us. It gives us tunnel vision. And it causes us to be... Dominated by ourselves. And Christianity is not about you. See, and this causes us to forget what God is doing in this world and that there is a bigger picture. You see, I said it a few weeks ago. We look through the world like stained glass windows smashed up to the face. It, it, it's shattered, it doesn't make sense. If you push your face up to a stained glass window, it doesn't make sense. The picture doesn't make sense. But if you step back, it's beautiful. See, we're just a piece of the, of the stained glass. We don't see the whole picture because we're not God. And as we read this letter, we see how Paul understands this. You see, Paul is sitting in jail cell, not knowing if he's ever going to get out. And by the way, he didn't. This was written probably, more than likely, most smart people say that it was written in the last couple years of his life when he was in Rome, in prison. That's when it happened. So he wrote this letter as a prisoner. And now he's busy writing letters and sharing the gospel. You know, that's what Paul did. He was in prison and he was writing letters and sharing the gospel with people. How many people do you know that would be in prison trying to convert the rest of the prisoners and the prison guards and writing letters to all the people that he's ever been in touch with his whole life to just... Push the gospel further and further. There's not many. That's not how we work. We feel sorry for ourselves. But not Paul. Paul is trying to reach people for Christ. See, and the third and final thing I want you to see as we read this letter is that the letter is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's One page in that is two pages. I get two full pages in my Bible. That's because my Bible's got bigger print. So I've got to have one and a half pages to get the whole text on it. But in that little letter, you get the story of Jesus Christ and salvation. See, I want you to see that good news. That through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have been ransomed. And how we have been saved from the wrath of God, and we have been reconciled to the Father. You see, when we accepted Christ, death on the cross, at that point, you were justified. You can't get any more justified, okay? But you're being sanctified by the day. You're being made more like Christ every single day you follow him. 
That is what's supposed to happen. We need to always look back to the justification, but we can't get any more justified. We just need to remember that is why we are in good graces with God. But he's going to be working on us because he doesn't want to leave us broken. And I want you to see how this then penetrates and transforms our hearts and then it affects and transforms our relationships, especially those relationships when we've been wronged. It will completely change the way that Christians act in relationships when we believe the gospel and allow it to work in us. It, it work itself out in every area of our lives, not just the ones we want to pick and choose, but every area of our lives. So let's start by reading, we're going to read the whole book of Philemon. And I hope that the Holy Spirit will open up your hearts today to see what this message has to say. Hey John, do you want to change the slides while I read? Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Athea, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I, I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you. But now he is indeed useful to you and me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. 
I, Paul, write this letter my, my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Ephesus, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark. Articius, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. First and foremost, we are all slaves. See, I said that earlier, and I want to, 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 to make this point. Do you consider yourselves a slave? See, you should, you, you, you see, I think we can be controlled by things we don't even realize they are controlling us. See, we have a drive that has been given to us by God. Okay, but we use that drive deceitfully to ourselves. And when, when you say, wow, I would, I would do anything to get that, that is your God. If you're worried about how much money is in the bank account, that becomes your God. so easy to put things in that position where God is supposed to be. Now, having money in the bank account is a good thing. But if you constantly worry about it and constantly are looking, seeing how much more you can obtain, that is why it becomes your God. You are a slave to money. You can be a slave to lots of different things. You can be a slave to being like. So you do everything so people like you. And how you know that is you're disappointed when somebody doesn't like you. And by the way, if you're a Christian, and if you're actually following Christ, the world is going to hate you if you truly live it. There is going to be lots of people that don't like you. See, what drives you to do the things you do? You see, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary describes a slave as this. Someone who is legally owned by another person and is forced to work for that person or person without pay. Or a person who is strongly influenced and controlled by something. I think we all fall into the second category. And you can choose who you get controlled by. You can be tr- controlled by God. In other words, you can let God decide how you should live. Or you could let the world decide. But then you're following the world and worshipping the world, not God. If you worry about what the world thinks about you, you're following the world. When you make your actions, do you worry about the world, what the world's going to say or what God's going to think?
Because that is why sometimes I say stuff that, that I think, I'm not worried about offending you. I am worried about offending God if I don't speak the truth. And there's some offensive things to the world in the Bible. So when, you, when I have a choice to make as a preacher, am I going to please you and make you my God? Or am I going to serve God and, and do what he says? Preach his word. I'm going to preach his word. That's what I'm going to do. Because I love God. The famous theologian, Bob Dylan, he wrote this song. Bob Dylan has a Christian album, by the way. Did you know that? He does. He wrote one Christian album. It's actually pretty good if you like Bob Dylan. The theology is probably all wrong, but it's, it's pretty good as an album. He says this, you may be a preacher with your spiritual pride. You may be a city councilman taking bribes on the side. You may be working in a barber shop. You may know how to cut hair. You may be somebody's mistress, maybe somebody's heir. You may be a preacher with your spiritual pride. You may be a civil councilman taking bribes on the side. You may be working in a barbershop. You may know how to cut hair. You may be somebody's mistress. You may be somebody's heir. I want to ask you this. He, he, he says, you've got to serve somebody. That's the cause, by the way. You've got to serve somebody. You get to choose who that is. You get to choose who you're going to serve. So I ask you this question, who or what are you a slave to? The answer should be Christ, not this world. Christ appeals to us. Verse 8 again. Paul says, According, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. See, can you imagine that? By the way, guess who delivered this letter? Do you know who delivered the letter? What? Philemon. Can you imagine holding this letter? Shaking, holding this letter. He's going back to a master. By the way, do you know what his master could have done to him? A lot. He ran away, punishable by death. Ran away, slave. Going back to his master's house with a letter. I'm sure he's open. Please God, because he's a believer now. Please God. Let him read this letter before he does anything. Please God, let him read this letter before he does anything. And he had to hand this letter to Philemon. See, just as Paul is appealing to Philemon here, For Onesimus to come back into his house 
But actually he's saying, take him as a slave, but, but maybe something more than a slave. See, I believe that's how Christ appeals to us. He doesn't say we have to follow him. See, just like Paul said, I'm appealing to you. I'm not telling you. I could tell you because of what I've done for you. But I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to appeal to you to do the right thing. Christ appeals to us when he asks us to follow him. That's what Christ says. He doesn't say, hey, say a prayer and you are saved. Go live however you want. That is nowhere to be found in the Bible, yet it's done every day in America. We count the the amount of people that say the sinner's prayer, but we never follow through. Jesus did not ask us to make people say the sinner's prayer. What Jesus asked is to make thy disciples. That's what he was making. That's what he meant when he said, come follow me. Be a disciple of mine. Go out and make more disciples. Don't go out and make more people that make a faith statement and then never, you don't plug into their lives. You don't push them towards a church and you don't pour into their lives. Saying a sinner's prayer does not save you. God saves you. See, we, he gives us a choice. You can choose what you want. Christ will not force us to follow him. You can either follow him or you can continue to follow your earthly desires. But one will lead to destruction and one will lead to life. See, God made us and he would have every right as our maker to tell us what to do, wouldn't he? I mean, really, if I design something and make it, I can tell that thing what to do. He created you. He has every right to demand that you follow him. But he didn't. He said, you can choose to follow me and that will lead to life. That is what salvation is. That is what reconciling with God is. We need to be reconciled firstly and foremost to God because if we're not reconciled to God, and that's why we're talking about that this week, we cannot reconcile relationships with other people. That's why I think think Paul was very confident at this appeal, by the way, that he knew where Philemon was in his walk with Christ. Else he would not have sent Onesimus back to him and said, Take this letter and give it to to Philemon. I'm sure Onesimus was worried because he was a baby Christian. But I think Paul knew Philemon's heart to actually say, go do this. He's going to accept you because he loves Christ and you love Christ. Because Christ changes us. See, just as Paul shared the gospel with Onesimus and Onesimus accepted the free gift of grace. See, it's free, but it's going to cost you something. See, we always just tell the free part, but we don't say it's going to cost you something. 
But I always tell people it's going to cost you something. So it's free. The gift of salvation is free. But it's going to cost you your life. It's going to cost you your life because you are saying, I'm going to follow you now, Lord Jesus. I'm not going to, I don't want to desire the things of my past. I want to desire you and you alone. And you will bring the, the stuff that you need into my life. And you know, from that day on, Anisimus' name actually meant something. It truly became. The, the, his name, Anisimus, means helpful or useful. So he was, that's, that's why Paul is, he, Paul is a genius, by the way. When he says, when Anisimus was useless, but now he is useful. It's just a play on words. Anisimus didn't live up to his name before. He ran away. He didn't follow you. He wasn't helping you. He ran away from you. But now, Anisimus, which means useful, he has became useful. Not only useful to you, Philemon, but he's useful to me. And you see, without change, without change, there is no relationship with Christ. I mean, really. I mean, there's a few couples in here, okay? Have you changed over the years? Yeah? Yep. You're not the same people you were before you got together. You learn to do different things. And by the way, for young couples, it's going to happen. You don't stay the same. You don't stay the same. But I'm not the same person I was when I met Shelley. I had different desires and different ideas. And then I met Shelley, and because I'm in a relationship with Shelley... They changed. If you're in a relationship with Christ, your will, you will change. Your ideas will change. What you live for will change. See, Paul is saying that now he's a believer in Jesus Christ. It has transformed his character. And he's, he's actually living up to his name that he was given. You see, if you really become a, a believer in Christ, Jesus starts to change you from one degree of glory to another. He changes us on a second-to-second basis. He continues to work on you. That is why he gives you the Holy Spirit. When you accept Christ as your personal Savior, he gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit to come in and clean you from the inside out. To get rid of the old and to put on the new. That is what the Bible says, that we become new creations. We're not old anymore, we're new creations. 
And it changes everything about you. If you've really become a believer in Christ, he starts to change you from one degree of glory to another. So we become better what? Better fathers. We could become better mothers. We become better parents, sons, daughters, friends, workers. We should become all of these things. When you go places, people should see that you are different. And they might think you're strange. But they should see that you are different, that you don't fit into the world as they know it. Because it changes every area of your life. See, Paul is looking at this slave saying he's become a believer and it's changed him. And he's gone from being useless to being useful. And he's living up to his name, finally. Charles Spurgeon says, a change of life alone can prove a change of heart. See, we profess, we have, there's millions of people that profess that they know. If you went to do door-to-door survey, people will say they believe in God. They don't say what God, but they believe in God. But there's no evidence in their life that they believe in God. We should have an evidence in our lives that we believe in God. And it's not about me. As, as we've read this letter today, I hope and pray that you see the providence of God and how that he is in control of everything. And it's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. God doesn't exist for us. Most people, by the way, even baby Christians think God exists for them. Do you know how you know? Listen to, if they have any prayer life whatsoever, they pray to God like he's a vending machine. They pray, give me, give me, give me. God is not about us. He exists for himself. See, we see this... In this letter on how Paul is really in prison here. And it's, he's not sitting in the corner of the cell feeling so sorry for himself. Complaining and being depressed. Because life isn't going the way I want it. Poor me. We look at it like that sometimes. Paul gets it. He gets the fact that our life is not about us. Instead, he's sitting in his jail cell looking for and seeing every opportunity as an opportunity to share the gospel of Christ. He's living his life vertically. Always looking up. How can I serve you, God? If you put me in jail, what can I do here? If you give me this job. What can I do in this job? This is how we should look at it. If you put me in a relationship with this person, how can I be a good steward of what you've given me? What can I do? 
Verse 12 through 14 said, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be compulsion, but of your own accord. See, Paul would have liked to keep Onesimus. Because he was serving him in a way that was really useful for the gospel. See, by the way, Paul was in prison. He was older. He was beat up. He had some ailments. Nobody knows what they were. A lot of scholars say he was poor of sight or whatever. But he had some ailments that that were, were painful. But he didn't complain. He goes, God, you've put me in prison. Hey, I'm going to convert this whole prisoner. I'm going to convert my prison guard. I'm going to convert everybody. Because I'm just going to live like I love you. And they're going to see you. And they're going to want you. That's how Paul converted prisoners and prison guards in his life. What sort of life was Paul living that he could do that? A loving life, a caring life. And he would have loved to have been kept. But Paul, in his wisdom and understanding, Paul said this. But it, what I want isn't best for everyone. Anisimus staying here with me would be absolutely useful to me and be a blessing to me, but it wouldn't be the best thing for Anisimus and Philemon because they need reconciled. He wasn't worried about himself. He was worried about Anisimus and Philemon reconciling their relationship See, we need to become more like Paul here where we say with Paul, it doesn't matter what I want. You see, there has to come a point when as the Holy Spirit continues to grow in you that we say, this life is not about me. It's not about me. But honestly... We just don't function like that. We don't. We're selfish human beings. I mean, I say I believe in Jesus, and I truly do. I think Jesus is in control. I think God has everything planned out. I see it all the time in my life. But a lot of time my actions don't line up with what I say I believe. I even think it strongly. And sometimes my actions don't line up with what I say I believe. I mean, just this week, probably my wife will tell you it's every week. 
I worried how I was going to get everything done that I needed to do. Why? You see, I really believe that God gives me everything I need to do. So he gives me this long list of stuff that he wants me to do because he thinks I'm very capable, not on my own, because he's in my life, because of his power, not mine. That's why I should be thinking that I'm capable. But instead of saying, if this is what you have for me, God, this week, you're going to have to show up and help me because this is more than I can handle. Because by the way, I'll tell you this. Mother Teresa said, God never gives you more than you can handle. She was wrong. I love Mother Teresa, but she was wrong. God always gives you more than you can handle because if you can handle it, you wouldn't need him. He always gives you more than you can handle. You see, we worry about so much stuff, yet the same Jesus that turned soul from bloodthirsty Christian killer to a man that exemplifies how we should live a life as a Christian, that same Jesus wants to change our way of thinking. If he could take Paul on the way, by the way, he'd killed Christians. He'd, he howled. Coach, why Stephen was being stoned to death. Hey, you want to stone Stephen? I'll hold your coats for you, brothers. That's the Paul that we're talking about. He was on the way to kill more Christians on the way to Damascus. And God shows up, Jesus shows up. Blinds him, puts scales over his eyes, and changes him forever. See, and me, someone who believes that God is in control of all things, and he is working everything that happens in my life together for his good. We've got to remember, for his good, not yours, sorry. Sorry to disappoint you, but it's not about you. It's all for him, for his good. I sure complain a lot. I'll put myself on the chopping block. And I'm sure some of you can relate. See, and for someone who believes that everything in my life is under the control of a watchful, grace, gracious, loving Father in heaven... I sure do worry a lot. And for someone who believes that God will take the harm that others try to inflict or on me or attempt to inflict on me and he turns it into his good, I sure get angry a lot. At others and easily and carry around bitter feelings. Any of you? Or am I the only one? So I want to ask you this week, in what areas of your life are you not trusting in the absolute providence and sovereignty of God? We need to not keep it to ourselves. 
in the book, The Good Life, by Christian rabbi artist Tripoli, he writes this. In Texas, we celebrate June 10th. On January 1st, 1863, President Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation became effective. But it had almost no effect in the southern states. At least not right away. Most slaves were still slaves. They had no idea that they had been free for over two years. But on June 19th, uh, 1865, General Gordon Granger arrived in Galveston, Texas. With good news, he said, The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with the proclamation from the executive, executive of the United States of America, all slaves are free. Now, could you imagine being General Granger and keeping that news all to yourself? Even worse, could you imagine being a slave and saying, hmm, I'm good. I'm going to stay a slave. We laugh, but guess what? We do it all the time. We let this world control us in so many aspects of our lives. And we're just a slave to the world when we could be following the gracious, loving God. So what are you going to do? See, we need to keep it. We don't need to keep it for ourselves. We need to share this good news. Now, I know people that are not receptive to, to the good news because I wasn't. We're praying for somebody that isn't. But all we can do in them situations is love that person. We can love them into heaven by loving them just the way they are, reflecting Christ to them, even if we don't say it. I believe that because I'm standing here living evidence. I told people who tried to convert me to keep that cult stuff to yourselves. And now I'm preaching it. So anything is possible because God is in charge. But it's his time and not ours. So this week I want you to read Philemon again. Or for the first time if you didn't read it. And pray to God to show you where he's appealing to you and how you need to change. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit for help to realize that it's not about you. It's not about me and what I want. What you want. And ask Jesus for the help to change because that's who's going to change you. You can't change yourself. You've proved that over the years. He needs to change you. And join us next week for part two of this study in the book of Philemon, the need for forgiveness. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for being a gracious, loving God that did show up for us, that saves us. Even though we are so silly and stupid and stay in the same routines, you move in our lives. You help us to grow.
Some faster than others. And that's okay, God. There is no set speed. It's always about progress, not perfection. We need to remember that, God. That each day you are sanctifying us. We can't be any more justified in your sight. Your son has paid the price for us. He has forgiven us. We can't earn your favor. We get to be a part of your plan. We get to be used by you. We get to, be, we get to serve you. We get to be a part of your life and your kingdom. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.